to the Wine Tech Insiders Podcast, episode 19. We're going to dive into a bunch of new startups or startups that are not brand new, but have gone in the news um, and um, are grabbing people's attention. First, I would like to welcome our insiders. We have Nick from Wine Owners, Lori from Outshinery. Hi there. Jonathan from Bottle Books. Hello. <laughs> and of course, Seb from Trolley. Of course. Good morning. <laughs> um, so uh, Winx, um, which is a um, wine club, um, which really grew during the pandemic um, or has grown during the pandemic, um, was planning to go um, on to the New York Stock Exchange for a valuation of $263 million. Um, I think, Lori, um, you heard that um, that has been delayed. Yeah, like it was announced uh, earlier this week and then uh, no, no reason has been uh, given, but it's, um, the going public, public sorry, has been delayed. So I'm personally super curious to know why. Um, so, but they didn't say that it was canceled altogether. Like it's not a case of like we work and going SPAC or anything like that done later. It's just something delayed, like a little snafu maybe, or just like the market conviction. Who knows, like, can't wait to hear more about that. But it is interesting for, um, I think the wine industry that such a business model that is not a winery, not a wine club, and um, in the traditional sense of the term, right? Like they just bring different wine uh, that they do themselves the branding of uh, is going public. Um, yeah. I mean, let other like other insiders like chime in and see like what they think about that business model and that going public. Well, it's, again, it's interesting. Oh, sorry, go for it, John. <laughs> no, it, it, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say it's interesting that they've postponed it because mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, if we if we just leave the whole wine topic aside, uh, as a startup, they were venture capital backed. Uh, they raised about 50 million bucks, give or take, over a few rounds. Uh, and from what I was reading, uh, they generated about 71 million in sales uh, in, in the last year, in 2021. 2021. Um, and so theoretically, if they were venture-backed, they are, they are geared for growth. And they need to achieve certain growth goals in order to pay back the initial investors. Um, and if they've postponed it, they might be struggling with those goals to reach, right? They, they kind of don't want to give their investors what they call a down round. Um, you really don't want to go for an IPO, but not raise as much as you can. Uh, so it, it probably indicates that either they're not quite ready uh, or they haven't grown, they haven't met their goals internally. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a story to be followed. It's very interesting because I do agree with you, Laurie, the, the way they're looking at trying to present a new style of wine business is rather interesting for sure. Mm -hmm. And what is, what is interesting? Could you just um, dive into that? What, what is unique about them, Seb, from your perspective? Um, look, the, I mean, the, there's a number of, um, of different, look, we, there's different businesses that we've talked about before and we'll talk about in the future. Everyone is trying to figure out a way of selling wine. Everyone is trying to figure out a way of matching wine with consumers. Everyone is trying to figure out a way of scaling the concept of discovery of a subjective product, right? There's 
too much wine, there's broadly an oversupply. And we don't have an oversupply just in quantity, we also have an oversupply in number of different products. And so these guys are effectively trying to uh, find a new way of allowing you as a consumer to discover wines you wouldn't have discovered otherwise, right? They they actually did start as a wine club. They go for it, Laurie? Yeah, and they just and they're also surfing, you know, like I'm putting my designer hat on there. Like the, the their packaging, their branding is very hip and just like very accessible. I know. I think they also very early had partnership with hotels in um, North America. I think mostly West Coast at the beginning. So they had a new way to introduce. You know, you arrive in your room and like, oh, here is like two mini bottles from like Wink. Like it's just like such a unique approach. And I almost, I'm not sure if they would agree, but like I almost consider them like almost like brand incubator as well to a degree. Like they have a couple of their famous uh, labels that like made a brand under their umbrella. Like one that comes to mind is Summer Water, which is a rosé. And this has been proven like so, so popular just because it's just very Instagram friendly. Summer Water for rosé is just actually freaking brilliant uh you know yeah. and they just kind of like almost like branched out so i still think it's under the wink umbrella but like you know what this has so much leg we know the public want like the consumer wants it we know retailers wants it they kind of like you know branched it out so it's also like interesting how they they, they have almost like a low risk to try brands ship it see how it's working and then just like you know push like supply more button and release it to the world so yeah. just that's also unique to them, I think. And it's all subscription based, right? It's all a subscription. Yeah. Consumers buy a subscription, subscription and they just keep on shipping that. the wine to you. Uh, but they help you discover new wines in a way that's not so much, you know, do you like apricot or do you like green, you know, hints of green grass and stuff. So, yeah, it's um, it's a different way of trying to match your taste, your palate and their branding is just is just spot on. I find it interesting. It's it's almost it is almost like an evolution on naked wines. So um, for I mean that it's something that never quite made it to Germany. So I only had to um, yeah use it vicariously through other people. But being able to go and um, really drive community involvement, drive the um, what did they call um, members? Um, sponsors or benefactors, angels, uh, angels, 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 and, yeah. and that angels. Uh, basically it was a wine club where the producers were recruited based on and kept based on them tailoring the wines to the feedback of the members. And this seems to be taking what I think was a very successful model and removing whatever impediments to scale remained and and blowing it up and also simplifying it at the same time because i think mm -hmm. um it's 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 just very it is built for scale like you said um uh, yeah. so, uh but they had a lot of a lot of evidence out there that it should work um as well yeah i think naked wines is a very interesting parallel because of how they would source and create the wine brands for the naked wine platform which was typically finding good quality winemakers and then helping them to augment their income by basically blending uh bulk wine or wines grown from you know neighboring areas to where they were into a what i perceived to be a naked wines recipe so a wine that was very smooth very low in acidity, very edgeless, very accessible, 
very upfront um, in terms of the sort of the shape of the um, um, the, 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 the way that the kind of the wine hits the powder. Um, and I note that, you know, Winx is, is positioning itself as a winery. And I, I guess that maybe is as a consequence of positioning itself as a D to C player in order to provide it with as broad distribution into as many States as possible. Is, is that correct? Or, or, or is that just a, um, uh, a turn of phrase. I don't think Wink is positioning as a winery. Not at all. No, no. Mm -hmm. They're definitely so, trying to. They, they they don't create. From my understanding, they don't seem to be creating. They don't really buy a lot of bulk and rebrand it completely. It's part of their business. Um, but they definitely have. They basically buy bottled wines and they try and do the branding and insert it into a pack for one of their subscribers. I mean, they call themselves a direct to consumer winery. Mm. That's interesting. interesting. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Look, and it's it's, it's, it's one of the biggest challenges, right? The, in the industry, naked wine actually got to a point. Uh, we're talking three or four years ago now. Naked wine got themselves into a position where they were more easily capable of finding wine angels. So they would find more consumers, and they struggled to recruit more producers. Because as we all know, the, the vast majority of producers are small mums and pop style mm -hmm. shops, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they effectively, there was a time where Naked Wine uh, did bland or did buy bulk wine and would effectively just sell that wine under a pseudo uh, winemaker profile. Uh, and so they basically, the supply is just so hard to get out that when you find a winning recipe to actually sell, to actually move the wine to consumers, get consumers to buy it, there's a void that gets created in the middle. Uh, and I suspect Wink is probably in, in that position uh, where they're capable of scaling the sales, but they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we scale the supply? Because as we all know, right, most wine wine producers is well below the 50,000 cases produced. And there's effectively nothing in the market between 50,000 and about a million cases produced, right? There's a handful, you could list them. Uh, there's basically no one. So a business getting to that size it literally has to figure something to either scale the supply or take like buy someone to actually jump up to the next level. Well, I think that's very interesting. I must say, you know, if if the um, average retail price that they're getting per bottle is seven dollars fifty, uh, you know, one of the questions in my mind is how significant is the average sales value of a bottle of wine to their ability to scale into uh, profitability? Mm. Look, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they would do an IPO. It's not easy to do an IPO without being profitable. So I would assume they might be profitable already. Uh, no, they do. So I think I think no, the latest figure, the latest figures were that they lost seven, uh, eight, no, no. Um, seven, seven million dollars in 2020. Really? Which was which was which was a a lesser loss, bad. a lesser loss than 19, which was eight million dollars. But then that's understandable because they're going for growth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's, I mean, theoretically, uh, they're going for growth. So they, they need to show growth. They need to show uh, movement forward so that the investors are still willing to put money in. 
yeah. the challenge is really that um, like doing IPOs, like um, what is it called? This little thing, what is it called? Uber uh, doing an <laughs> IPO with how many billions worth of losses. Uh, it's not straightforward to go into the public market and just say, yeah, we're losing money uh, and we want your money to keep losing more money. You but need to have a hell yeah. of a value prop. Well, I, yeah, I, and I guess the losses are almost certainly down to marketing costs. And then the question is, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? How long are you, how, how successful are yeah. you able to convert that customer from the first 30 buck payment into a monthly recurring ongoing um, um, uh, payment? How, 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 how recurring therefore is your customer income? And what does the churn look like? And those presumably are, you know, key metrics of a kind of online wine SaaS business, right? Totally. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, and as you were saying, if they're selling their bottles for seven fifty a bottle on average, uh, it basically means they need to buy that from the producer at, at least half that price. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of wine that gets produced below this, below the three dollars kind of a line, right? Most mm -hmm. wines are more expensive to produce. I mean, a, a bottle, the bottle itself is 50 cents to a dollar, right? Um, so yeah, interesting, very interesting. I, I will keep an eye on it, I think. Or do you put it in a box? So there's a new, there's another <laughs> startup called Box that raised 9.3 uh, million. Um, Laurie, what do you think about the, the Box concept from a design perspective? Uh, and definitely, so this box, to, to give a bit of visual to our listener, it's a wood box. So it's not your traditional like bag in a box that sometimes look cheap, especially in the North American market. This one definitely like piqued my interest. Again, it's not just the, the concept of having the wine not in a bottle, but you know in another more eco-friendly vehicle container. Um, but it's also like the, the profile. So all the wines are actually abstract. They're just like numbers. Um, so they just like, they kind of like bypass altogether the idea of, you know, uh, appellation, varietal, their pitch uh, from what I read. Uh, it's not available here in Canada. So it's just uh, North American right now. It's just like to democratize and not be snobby about wine. You don't need to know about wine to discover what you like and order more of what you like. Um, I think the play, not unlike Wink, it's also very of the moment trendy, I would say. Like, you know, they have uh, videos of um, actors, actress, like Eva Longoria opening the box and everything. So it's very much a bit the world of influencer and being, you know, in that world. Um, but uh, created by a female founder, it's only two, two and a half years old. I mean, depending where you look, sometime you read 2017, sometime you read just, you know, a bit like 2019. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting. 9.3 million, why not being massive um, to put wine in a box is, is quite unique. Like it doesn't, uh, yeah. And, and again, it is a subscription model from wine understand. You say, you'd say, you tell them, I really love number three. Can I have more of number three, please? Um, so it's really like you would think it's commoditizing, like making like cheaper wine, but apparently it is actually really good quality wine. Like they are like kind of walking that fine line of like redefining what a wine in a box um, can be and can taste like. Um, yeah. And it becomes a, a conversation from the design standpoint. It's very much a conversation piece because that's 
a package that, you know, the wooden box that you leave on your kitchen counter or like in your living room. Um, and I bet you anybody that comes and visit ask, well, what is that, you know, and just tell me more about it. So that's also very interesting. Uh, to you know, if uh, if uh, you keep your, your wooden box and they ship you a new bag or do they ship a new box every time? I'm pretty sure it's just a bag that they ship. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, bo the, box, the box is compostable. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you would you wouldn't have a new box every time, right? Because I mean, they're planting a tree for every box, but it'll take twenty years before they can harvest the tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and I think um, what what you mentioned, Laurie, the there's a couple of points I want to highlight, right? The, um, the the numbers on the wine, I agree with you. It's fucking hats off. It's a great idea to just say, look, let's not bother as to where it came from and what kind of a you know, snobby fucking label is on there. Um, the numbers is probably helping like most consumers feel good about not really knowing much about the product. They just kind of go, yeah, I was number one last time. Same as Nespresso in their capsules, right? Mm -hmm. Initially, it used to be only a few type of coffees and you just kind of go, that's my kind of coffee. That's the one I like. I like the red one. Can I get a red one? All right. <laughs> Uh, so that's really good. Um, there's also, look, nine and a half million bucks raised. That's a lot of money. That's Series mm -hmm. A style money, uh, which also means they need to have revenues to back that up. Um, so, or, or it's a clear FOMO kind of a, like there's one or two investors who just went, oh, this is so great. I know the founder and we just want to back that up and, they, and help them grow. Yeah. Uh, but it and, means they've made some serious progress. And also, I'm just curious, you know, what you were like talking about earlier today uh, like my conversation with wink is just like and then what happened is it becomes too popular like you are claiming right now like oh we're kind of like we're not just a typical wine in a box we're not you know like they claim themselves to be fine wine again nick i would love for you to have a couple and then you can tell us more about like <laughs> you know like if you evaluate this as fine wine but it's almost like oh like is it going to be a almost a chicken and egg not chicken and egg but like a problem of like if they are too popular to match, you know, the demand of the Supply. investors, like where yeah. do they get the juice, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, but I think that's what's interesting about this is that um, they do have a strategic investor, WX Brands, on board. Yes, true. So they do have uh, a producer in the house, um, which I think uh, says a lot or um, mm -hmm. either says a lot about it and provides them, you know, the muscle. Yeah. They can get the juice. They source great, great wines. They make great wines. Um uh, that they distribute all over the world. So it's, yeah. they've got a good point there. And I really can't help to think um, that North America is way behind when it comes to the bag in a box format. Um, yep. I know I've said that before, yeah. like it's already way more common in Europe. Mm -hmm. It's easily one third of a store in any Scandinavian country. Like it's just really nice wine bag in a box. Like it's just, it is also becoming more and more clear that it's more sustainable and everything like that as well. It's just more economical. Like, you know, like you just look at your own wallet as a consumer. Um, so I think that also tapping into that trend and bypassing all the preconceived notion of having only super, super cheap bad wine in bag in a box and just like change language yeah. about what bag in a box can be. And I think that's very, like very interesting. And that attracts me even yeah. as a regular wine consumer. 
Correct. All right. And it's the same as we talked before in the previous podcast, we talked about packaging, right? And how the consumers are demanding a different package for wine, either being a can or something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that just hits straight onto the, uh, the it hits the nail, the head on the nail, it hits, hits the nail on the head. <laughs> that one, you know what I mean? Especially, especially when people, I mean, wine in a can is to drink on the go, which mm -hmm. there is still less going at the moment <laughs> than before before the pandemic so um if the if the wine in the can was the was the perfect product pre-pandemic maybe wine in the box where you're doing more um imbibing at home um then maybe it's the post the the, the product for the post post-pandemic wine drinking world yeah, Nick, would you ever lower yourself to uh buy wine in a box Sure. Um, I mean, as long as, as long as it was great wine, right? As long as it was good wine, because as we know, life is frankly too short to drink crap wine. Um, yeah, but um, what if I like crap wine as a consumer? Well, you know, I think, I, but I think, I think the common thread um, with with box and with wink is is that, and actually, um, you know, there are other businesses I think doing the same thing, and I think we're going to be perhaps talking about one of them in a minute, um, is, is that these are all businesses who are getting away from the standard definitions of the wine market, and they're finding ways to describe wine in very accessible terms, you know, um, profiling tastes of wine in a way that you might, you know, ask someone to sort of profile a um you know a sweet shop or something uh, and i and i think that the, that that is clearly working and it's great i think i think it's fantastic that that people are are figuring out how to make wine engaging and accessible and you know what i think that you know um for a lot of people um that's brilliant and that's where they're going to end up. And for other people, it's a point of access to mm -hmm. getting into it a bit more and maybe ending up, you know, with a, 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 um, a, a slightly different product on their table. But, but, you know, anything that brings people in and generates a degree of enthusiasm and talking point around wine is good. Agreed, 100%. Well, and Nick, that that um, that other company you're talking about is Pix, um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. Pix is the brainchild of Paul Mabray, and Paul has been around the um, uh, wine industry for a while um, um, in, in direct to consumer, um, uh, an American guy, um, and he's assembled. Um, quite a notable team of people um, for the to build the PIX platform um, and kind of inside the industry has gotten a little bit of buzz, at least some notoriety. Um, they're still, uh, as far as I, I think, they're still building um, what will become PIX. Um, Jonathan, could you tell us a bit about just what are they building? What are they uh, um, trying to do? I think Pix is as pure a tech growth play in the wine industry as you could have. I mean, they are literally building a platform to search for wines and they're going to sell advertising. 
Um, and it's, it's through and through a, you know, a pure, um, yeah, a pure tech play. Um, and, you know, that's the, what they have to prove is, um, you know, can they get the audience? How much is it going to cost them? And once they start charging the producers for and the and the importers and the retailers for marketing, um, uh, are they able to deliver that value um, back to to them? So I think that's, you know, that's but that's the that's that's the story behind every um, every tech startup uh, a platform startup like uh, like they're doing, um, and that's that's what they're. Yeah, well underway and and getting their beta out. It's not public beta, um, and they're yeah driving driving a lot of visibility. I think it was really smart to go and um, develop content. I think Seven Fifty proved that a content strategy. I mean, I think they're one of the first big tech uh, wine tech uh, businesses to really push a content strategy as how you drive engagement and drive your audience. And that they they took a a note a page right out of their book and. Um, so yeah, now it's, um, they just have to keep delivering. Seb, what do you think? It's uh, look, I agree with what, uh, what Jonathan is saying overall. Um, I think Paul knows enough about the industry, uh, to really focus on scalability and tech and try and, and really try and bridge that gap between producers and consumers, right? Which is, which is the challenge in the industry, right? Um, and um, the one question I have is really, um, um, how do they say it? How do you guys say it? The, the proof is in the pudding. Um, <laughs> I, I don't personally feel like it's the first time someone is trying something like that. Um, and look, there's a reason why Boxed raised 9 million bucks and Pix didn't raise 9 million bucks, right? Um, and ultimately, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, okay, how are they going to uh, think laterally? How are they going to think outside of the box, pun non intended? <laughs> um, because ultimately, that matching, if, if you keep the traditional product in a traditional label and a traditional format with the traditional way of discover product based on you as a consumer needing to know the product, needing to know your own taste. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm I'm going to wait to see exactly what comes out of it. Uh, I'm more than open to be to be proven wrong, uh, but I'm I'm very keen to increasingly see how are they going to stitch the whole thing, because ultimately, I think from what I know of Paul, he's going to lean on data, right? He's going to lean on trying to know, trying to match, trying to help consumers find that better product. And he's going to charge the producers for advertising or a percentage of sales or something. Um, but stitching that together is not an easy feat, is not an easy feat by any way, shape or form, due to the fact that overall the industry is fragmented um, like nothing else, right? Yeah, how difficult is this challenge, Nick? Well, I think there is a space. Um, you know, we've seen Wine Searcher occupy the fine wine market um, in particular, extremely um, effectively. And, and when I say effectively, um, you know, there is no doubt that if you speak to, you know, the majority of um, wine businesses whose lists are present on Wine Searcher, Wine Searcher is a very significant, if not the primary driver of, of new business 
for them to their e-commerce or to their their online product pages. Um, and you know, Wine Searcher have done it in quite a traditional way. You know, in terms of um, how wine is searched for. Um, um, but they have also done a good job in producing uh, an e-zine that goes with it that um, is successful at driving traffic to it. And I think that they've managed to leverage Google very effectively in terms of in terms of their own traffic generation and the numbers there speak for themselves. Um, so, you know, is there a space which is an adjacent space appealing to people who are not engaged with wine in the in in the sort of traditional way that wine searcher um, defines it um, and, in, and in exactly the same way as we've talked about with some of these other startups um, boxed and, and winks um, they are clearly looking at defining um, uh, preference taste um, uh, the reasons why someone wishes to buy wine and how you can help them make the right decision, make the, make the right purchasing decision, pair the right bottle with the, the thing that they want to do with it. Um, uh, and, and I agree that, that that's a significant challenge. Um, I also agree that, that these guys are coming from a, you know, a very data-driven and sort of um, persona-based um, uh, geodemographic type sort of background, as it were. Um, so, so there's 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 certainly the background knowledge to be able to apply uh, that perspective in order to try and occupy this this um, um, sort of um, space that, that I think does exist in the market, where there are people who are looking at ways in which they can figure out how to um, um, successfully, uh, consistently buy wines that they're going to enjoy. So, so um, you know, let's see, let's see what happens. The market yeah. is, the market I suspect is oh, yeah. probably there. How much, uh, how much is PIX going to be another Vivino? Yeah. Because ultimately, well, that, I mean, I mean, that's where that's where Vivino started, right? Before they yeah. became yeah. the shop, they were the conduit originally. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, Vivino was all about wine reviews, right? You could scan a bottle and and you could just review, see what people are thinking about it. So there's a community side of you as a consumer can decide on a product based on what the community is thinking of it. But they basically slowly got into the whole marketplace and now you can buy on Vivino and they basically have a relationship with all of the major retailers in the US, for instance. So you can bypass the retailer's website, you can just buy it directly on Vivino. Yeah. So I guess, X I guess is lining up like that. And I guess the question is in this space, to what extent do consumers value convenience and sort of one click sort of, you know, Amazon like purchasing and all that kind of stuff. And, and these are, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer as well. Like for me, like I'm just curious because they, they, they kind of like describe themselves, are we going to be the Google of wine? And I'm just like the tongue in chicken music. And so how much are you paying Google to be the Google of wine, right? Like what's your Google yeah. ad budget for, <laughs> for beating Google? Yeah. Like, like, you know, like it's like, like that's kind of like interesting because even though 
it is described as a, a platform that democratizes and opens it up. It's just like you, this platform still has to get in front of consumer eyeballs. Uh, and how do you do that? Like, I would be super curious, beyond the technology play, how do you get people to use the technology at such a scale that it, the economics makes sense? I'm sure they've worked that out, but I'm just I would I would love to be like a little like you know mouse in the in the meeting. Oh yeah, but like a fly on the wall. A fly on the wall. Thank you. <laughs> We're in struggling French, with expression this morning. <laughs> no, no, I'm just translating a French expression that apparently does not exist in English. <laughs> and look, just to just to sort of close the topic, um, I think the mouche sur le mur, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think, look, overall, uh, the the idea is that, look, I don't, I don't really know how Pix is going to evolve, but it really looks to me like they are leveraging the opacity in the supply chain, right? The opacity as to where the wine's coming from. They're basically just aggregating a bunch of wines together. And you don't know where they came from. You don't know how they were produced. You don't really know... A, sustainability vegan system or, or natural wines but they're effectively trying to get you to buy because they appear like they know their stuff i'm not convinced i'm not convinced and look paul if you're listening to this fucking give me a call uh, we're gonna have a amaretto <laughs> coffee together all right so seb starting with you what are the chances that uh Picks, boxed, winks, another company comes within five years, 10 years, and can challenge Vivino um, as, as really the, a behemoth in this space. Uh, look, the, the, I think Vivino is in a very, very good position, right? They, they've grown to a point and they, their timing was absolutely superb. Uh, and Heine did a really good job at. Uh, funding the business and growing the business overall, they're they're in a really inviolable position. What are the chances? Very high, right? Because <laughs> I, I think ultimately um, you're looking at the box of the world. You're looking at startups trying to change the distribution chain, and I think that's where the biggest problem is. The biggest disruptor is in the supply chain, not necessarily in the aggregation in the cell. Um, I do think that Vivino, the, the value of Vivino, uh, whether, whether or not it's right or wrong, uh, is their, um, their reviews, right? You walk into a bottle shop, you walk into anywhere, you don't really want to just be sold a bottle because that's what they have there on the spot. You just want to look it up and see what other people think. And then that is quite interesting, all of the social side of it. Uh, let's hope it's not going to turn into the Amazon where uh, everyone is leaving sort of a fake or, or sponsored or paid reviews. Um, but look, the, the marketplace side of things, Vivino has done a really good job. They are also heavily leaning towards large producers. Right? Mm -hmm. They're heavily relying on bottle shops and distributor relationships, not so much small wineries relationship. And let's keep in mind that the vast majority of wines are actually created by small production wineries. What are the chances? Five years? I hope there's going to be another one. I absolutely hope there's going to be another one. And if there's someone else with an idea, I'm here to, to back you up. <laughs> Jonathan, what about you? What, why don't we get everyone's opinion on this? Is there, is there a chance? Well, I think they're um, they're big. They've reached critical mass. They're profitable. 
um, yeah. which is in the wine industry doing something like that. It's it's very difficult to uh, to reach profitability um, when you're trying to scale that sort of a, a business. Um, and they've delivered on that. I think it's um, going to take a, a couple missteps for somebody to catch up with them in the next in the next uh, in the next five years. Um, and you know, if they stay on top of trends and adapt, um, they've got you know, when you have a war chest of cash and you're delivering results for people and they're happy with your service, um, it may only be a segment of the market, but it's a it's a very profitable segment of the market and everybody else is going to be going for the crumbs um, that, mm-hmm. or that are much more difficult. And so they have really, um, I think they're going to have to make a few, a few mistakes um, to make it easy for somebody to come and, um, and, and displace them in the near future. Mm-hmm. Laurie. Yeah, like I would kind of second uh, Jonathan here as well. Like I'm secretly hoping that they have almost like an incubator, like, you know, like there are trends, wine is evolving. Like, I mean, who knows what they're working on, but maybe they are working on like a, a box service with, you know, back to something like that. And then how do you, if you come like brand new, like how do you, you know, compare slash compete, right? So that's just kind of like interesting that way. And aside from like even Vivino, like I think, as a, as a wine industry, like we think of this platform as like one way for people to get to know wine and purchase wine. But what I see also a lot is the recent big acquisition that we have seen, like Drizzly by Uber Eats, I think, and just like- Has it gone through? You know, oh, I think it did. Don't put me on it. I should have checked before, but you know, this know, comes yeah. to mind as well. And technically we know for us, those are not tasting discovery platform, but I would challenge that for the regular Lambda consumer I'm ordering food, I'm on Uber Eats. You know what? I'm gonna make a choice on whatever I'm buying to go with that Thai food dish that I just ordered now on Uber Eats on the app as well. And suddenly my channel to see like, yep, this white wine looks like perfect. I doubt a person would then will go to picks, find a white wine to go with that Thai dish. Like they, they will use that Uber yeah. Eats interface to So make you're saying choice. the Vino's biggest competitor is probably Uber. Uber, Drizzy, like one of those, like, or just like market share. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they should, like, I'm sure they're already looking at each other, but they have different angle. But in the eye of consumer, I think it's much closer than the industry think. That's my personal opinion. Nick, why don't you give us the final word on this? <laughs> so, yeah, so I think, I think that there is, you know, clearly as in many other markets, there's a trend to scale. And, you know, and, and clearly scale comes with some fresh thinking. And, uh, and yet, I also see a significant mushrooming of new startups at the other end of the market. So I believe that there is a counterbalance to the shift to scale, which is a significant amount of new thinking and and energy and um, lots of new startups coming into this space at the other end of the market. It is a naturally long tail market. It's a naturally fragmented market. You know, all of the sort of the, the underlying market characteristics that led to the creation of Amazon would suggest that maybe there's an opportunity to do that in wine as 
businesses um, like Vivino are demonstrating. Yeah. But I also think the nature of the market means that there's so much room left for small new entrants. And I think that there is a great deal of activity that we're going to go, that we're going to be seeing post COVID over the next couple of um, years in that area. And, and I think that, you know, those are businesses that are ambitious to level up with their bigger brethren using technology that's now available, that's accessible to them in order to be able to um, do the sorts of things that would have been much tougher to do a few years ago. It's exciting. And, and, and Uber <laughs> did complete the acquisition of Drizzly two weeks ago. So it was announced in February uh, and mid-October, uh, it was all uh, green light. So they actually did purchase Drizzly. Thank you for confirming. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, our insiders. That was episode 19 of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. I'd like to thank Seb from Trolley, Jonathan from Bottle Books, Lori from Outshinery, and Nick from Wine Owners. See you all in a few weeks. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.